0: Especially if you're visiting with us, thanks for being here today. There are lots of places you could be, including sleeping. Glad you're here. Got a lot of things to cover today. Man, it's loud. Is that loud? You want to turn it down a little bit? Cause I'm feel like I'm in a tin can up here. Oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm gonna get started right away this morning because I got a lot, lot planned. Um, Kind of a weird sermon this morning, but that won't surprise you who come often. Um, I got a big, long story to tell today, and that's pretty much my sermon today. So I got to get going on it because um, I don't want to. I don't want to take too long, but I'm excited about it. Before we get started today, I just want to have a quick um, prayer time for you. If you if you come on in here like most of us do, um, you probably aren't ready to hear a message today of any kind. Um, Unless you came in and the worship got you in the right frame of mind, that kind of thing. I, I get to go around and pray and hug and it probably drives Rick nuts in the band because I'm, I'm out there while they're leading worship. I'm out there trying to touch and love and whatever, everybody. But um, if you came in here today and you haven't had a chance to kind of take a deep breath, um, you're not going to care what I have to say this morning. I'm just going to lay it out there, okay? If you came in here this morning and you're thinking about money, you're thinking about your job, you're thinking about the lawn that needs to be mowed, you're thinking about the game, although there aren't a lot left. Tuesday is a soccer game, but there's no football, there's a little bit of golf, Tiger's not even playing. So I don't know what you got on your mind right now, but um, if you came in and you're preoccupied with something else, you're going to care less what I have to say. There might be something funny I say, there might be something cute I say, and it won't change your life at all. But if you can right now, calm your life, if you can put it on pause, even if you're not sure you believe this stuff, you might as well, you're going to have to sit here, your wife's making you sit here, your husband's druggy you here, whatever it is, you're going to have to sit here anyway, you might as well try this, okay? And here's what we do, we come in and we just ask God to get, to, to kind of clear our hearts, to clear our minds a little bit, whatever you came in preoccupied with today, you don't have to leave preoccupied with. If you need to, you pick it up when you walk out the door, but stop right now, take a deep breath, whether it's your health whether you got, I, we've got friends and family in hospitals, we got pain, physical pain going on in our pews right now, we have job hunting going on, we have relationship problems, we have all kinds of things, and that's okay, but we don't want to miss what God has to say to us today because of those things. So we're going to take a deep breath, and here's the truth about it, I'll miss it too, and I won't say the right things if I don't get right. So we're going to take a deep breath, we're going to stop for a minute, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into sermons morning. God, we thank you for the perspective that comes with a deep breath, literally and spiritually. God, the truth is no matter how many books we read, no matter how many self help classes we take, no matter how much counseling we get, how many drugs we take, there's this looming thing in our life that we're not in charge, we're not in control. Many of us have tried everything to feel like we can be in control, to feel like we can fill the voids in our life. But God, the truth is, it all boils down to the same thing. That we're not in control. So right here, right now, we pause to give space and time and energy to the one who is in control. And we know that if you wanted to, you could speak louder than everything else in our lives. You could cause us to stop everything but you've chosen to speak in a still small voice and you won't compete with the stuff in our lives so we turn it all down so we can hear you right now. Would you change us because of what we hear today? And we'll be ready and we'll take action in your son's name. Amen. So we're dealing with this series um, called Stronger. If you're visiting with us, Um, if you're listening online, Stronger is about getting stronger physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Um, And financially, and we have been working through that since the beginning of the year. Um, We are now halfway through the year and have uh, about three more months to go on this. Please don't take a deep breath for that. No, we're we're, we're going through all these kinds of uh, different ways in our life. We're getting stronger. And this, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about stronger family. And I got to I got a message delivered today that is much different than what I normally do. In fact, I haven't preached this kind of a sermon in about two or three years around here. I dug one up that I'd preached about three years ago just to make sure I wasn't doing the exact same thing. Um, but uh, I, really, I really like what God's led me to today, and it's really fun. In fact, I brought a stool out here today because what we're going to do today is something that you've liked since you were in kindergarten. Um, and if I could do this right, I'd have my dad here preaching this sermon because there is no better person to do this than my dad, in my opinion. Story time. Today, it's story time, okay? Like gathering around the kindergarten teacher, like um, whatever it is that, that in your life that tells stories. Um, today, I want to tell you a story that I believe will impact your life. And as we talk about it, I, I brought another picture for you today. This is our last sermon in the Stronger Family series. And I wanted you to see another family picture, you know, these awkward family photos on Google. Somehow, this is this family's family. Um, little abnormal, although I've seen worse. Um And I don't know what your family photo looks like, but the truth is it's not ideal, and I get that. I don't know what you brought in here today. Some people in your pew, um, you would rather have the monkeys than them, you know, and you probably on the way to church, many of you had fights and arguments today, and I get that. I understand that. A lot of you have relationship problems in your life that you feel like will never be resolved. A lot of things you don't want resolved. You have family in your life that you don't even talk about. Um, forks of your family tree, you would like to take a a saw and cut off the branch, you know, I know this about you because I have it too. And I want you to know today um, that if you have ever heard anybody say that what you need to have in your life is a biblical family, um, then you've never read the Bible because you don't want a biblical family. In fact, there are very few uh, families in the Bible that are good stories. Most of them are completely messed up and most of them worse than yours. And I think God did that very intentionally. He put these stories in the Bible to say, this is life. I know this is life. And here's how you deal with real life. Now, if he would put a bunch of stories in the Bible that were about Beaver Cleaver and Ward and June, um, if he put in stories in the Bible that were about the Brady Bunch, you know, and the little tiny problems that they surfaced, we'd have read that and gone, well, that doesn't apply to my life. But instead, he tells these stories, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that happened 5,000 years ago? And that happened to me yesterday with my sister. And my brother. And so it allows us to do these things. And it allows us to be able to, to, uh, to look at these things and apply some incredible principles to it. And here's where I want to go today. I want to let you know that if, if you've got kids at home, even if you don't have kids at home, if you're a grandpa, if you're a grandma, if, you've got, if you're a high school student, and someday your, your uh, thought about your life is that you may have children at some point, you need to know this today. This is a truth about your life. That you are somebody's previous generation. That later on down the road, your people are going to look back to you and go, Yeah, you know, I, the reason I say this today, the reason I do this today is because my great grandpa, Jeff, did. He's not a great grandpa yet, although the gray hair would suggest otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I'm one <laughs> to talk about hair, he says. Um, but, uh, but the truth is, in, at some point in your life, you're going to probably be that great grandpa that the kid goes, Now, what was, who is he now? And what town did he live in, and what did he say? But the thing is, you're going to have an impact on the next generation of people. And I want to talk about that today. We're going to talk through a story of the most famous um, family in in history. Now, I'm not talking about the Kardashians. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about, um, you know, J.R. Ewing and his family. I'm talking about um, Abraham. And I know that may not be, uh, that may be surprising to you that that's one of the most famous families in history. But throughout the world, the story of Abraham and his family has just moved from generation to generation because of this piece of scripture in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, now this is awesome. Throughout the Bible, you're going to hear some things today that you go, I didn't know that was in the Bible, and I'm I'm hoping you do because you should read this thing more often. It's pretty cool. Abram... Um, God later changes his name to Abraham kind of the way I did with with my son Uh, we named my son Reese and I very rarely call him Reese Um, it's buddy it's uh, recently it's squeaky I don't know why I've been calling him squeaky Um, and uh, I call him Sir Toots a lot for obvious reasons Um, and uh, and I, I call him all kinds of little names this is what God does with with his people with the closest with his closest children throughout the Bible especially the Old Testament he spends some time with them and they have a name and then he goes you know what I'm going to start calling you Sir Toots a lot, you know, because we have this little thing now. I'm going to start calling you Buddy. That's what I call Reese, and it just kind of came out. London, since she was little tiny, I called her Bear, and I have, when she's 18, she'll be going, oh, Dad, but I'm, I just call her Bear, and I don't know why I do it. There's no reason. It just kind of comes from me. God does this with, with a lot of his closest children in the Old Testament, and Abram is one of those, and it, it's pretty close, but God changes him from Abram to Abraham, and so if you've ever seen those two names together, those are the same guy. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Now, we don't know a lot about Abram, um, Abraham later. We don't know a lot about his father. We don't know a lot about his family. We don't know a lot about where he comes from, but we do know this, that God asked him to start fresh, that God says, hey, you know what? You need to go away. You need to start over. Now, some of you are sitting here today, and I hear this all the time from you. Hey, hey what, why is it that you've got this alcohol problem? Well, my dad did. So did my grandpa. Why do you treat women like that? Well, that's the way my dad treated people. Hey, why do you beat your kids? Because my dad beat me. Hey, I'll tell you, I hear this all the time. I'll tell you what, those kids, what they need is a good whooping. Well, I don't know about that always. Just because your dad did it to you? Just because your dad's dad did it to him? Doesn't mean it's what your kids need. And you know that. God says to Abram, you know what, you need to start over. There's some things in your past that you need to start over. And, and part of this family thing that we're going to be talking about in Paragon, and I wouldn't have said this five years ago, but I think I've, it's been almost eight years now. Since I, In September, it'll be eight years I've been preaching here. And I'm telling you, this community desperately needs to hear this message. You don't have to be who your dad was. You don't have to be who your mom was. You don't have to do with your family what your family did with you. In fact, many of us need to make a wholesale change. God says, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Now this was somewhere in the 5,000 years ago range, and it's come true. It's come true. Everything was that God has done, all the stories come through Abram, who later became Abraham. Amazing story. In fact, it's where I want to start today. Because the the person that I'm actually going to talk about is Abraham's grandson. His name is Joseph. Amazing man. One of the best, um, uh, just the best case studies for how to live your life um, of anybody I've in in the whole Bible. Although he had some incredible messes in his life. Um, Abraham. So I want to get get this with you. Here's what happened to me in Bible college. This is amazing. I shouldn't be saying this, but you can't fire me for this. I don't think. When I was in Bible college, I had to take an entrance exam, all right? So the entrance exam, they ask you all these questions about the Bible and all these things I probably should have known by the time I was that age and had grown up in the church my whole life. And I did pretty good except for the part where they give you a list of 250 Bible names and you have to put them in order of history. Yeah. I mean, there are names I'm going, I never even heard of that guy, you know? And where I'm just going to throw him in there somewhere. And I got like a seven, 17%, I think, my freshman year. I'm being real honest with you here. So the idea is, you know, they said I get 17% of something you need to work on, you need to know these things. It was never that interesting to me, really. I wanted to know the stories, but I didn't care which one came before the next. And So then I got through my senior year. The idea is you were supposed to have gotten better. Well, I took the exit exam, the exact same thing, 250 names, got to put them in order. I'd been studying it for four years. 16%. So I got to let you know, I'm, I put this up here to make sure I get this right today because I still, I have, I, don't have, I have an affinity for the stories. I don't have so, I'm not so good at the order and those kinds of things. But here it is. Abraham had a son named Isaac. And you've heard this story, Abraham and Isaac. That's where I'm going to go today, but that's a whole other sermon. And then Isaac had twin sons named Esau and Jacob. And now having twin sons at this point in history was an amazing thing. Everybody wanted to have a son. If you had two at the same time, poof. You were, you know, you hit the jackpot. And Jacob and Esau were born at the same time. I I refer to them here as Esau and Jacob because Esau actually came out before Jacob, came out of the womb before Jacob, which doesn't sound like that big a deal now, but then it was huge because the firstborn son would get the birthright from the father. The birthright was basically most of the property that the father had and then all the power to, to... To kind of control the family at that point. So even though Jacob was born just a split second later potentially or just really close to Esau, Esau had the birthright. So so Isaac had, so Abram had Isaac, Isaac had Esau and Jacob, and then Jacob had 11 sons. And this is where I'm telling you, I told you, okay, the Bible has some weird, messed up stories in it. With some weird, messed up people who have some weird, messed up ideas about family. And In my opinion, Jacob was one of those. Jacob had 11 sons with a whole bunch of different wives. In fact, he had one son that that we hear about a lot. His name is Joseph. And Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, which I would recommend if you're a parent that you try not to have a favorite, just at least not on the outside, you know? But he was very clear that Jacob's my favorite son, and listen to why. This is really messed up. Jacob is my favorite son, or um, Joseph is my favorite son, because he, he was the product of my favorite wife. <laughs> now that's messed up, you know what I'm saying? So, so there's ten brothers, Joseph has ten brothers, and they're all older than Joseph. And I, I want to get this picture this morning. I want to tell you this story because I, maybe you've never heard it, and maybe you have, and you've never heard it in this context. Uh, basically what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story of Joseph, and then we're going to take a rewind, okay? You're going to have to hang with me a little bit here this morning, so stay awake. Um, because here's what happens to Joseph. He's young when we pick this story up. He's very young. And he's, he's kind of the Eddie Haskell type, you know. He's a, kind of a good kid on the outside at least. And he's really a pretty good kid. And his dad loves him, but his brothers can't stand him. They can't stand him because he, he, they know that he's dad's favorite. And he's, always, he's kind of a twerp to them, you know, like he he would go out into the field and if if the older brothers would do something bad, he would come back and he'd say, hey dad, guess what the guys are doing, you know. And he would get them in trouble a lot. He was younger than them. His dad had given him a coat that you know of as the coat of many colors. And this coat was just a beautiful coat and none of the rest of the brothers got this coat. So they were just, they were annoyed. And besides the fact that he was dad's favorite, besides the fact that he had this annoying habit of kind of telling on people, Besides the fact that his dad had given him this beautiful coat and kind of treated him better than the rest of the kids, he also was a, was a dreamer. He had these dreams. And at this point in history, this happened a lot. This is the, a lot of the way God spoke to people, and we can talk why that why that is, but one of the reasons is because this is a relationship with God that's different than the one that you have because of Jesus. He spoke to people with dreams often. He still does, I think. He's never spoken to me through a dream, but he spoke, he spoke to Joseph through dreams, and Joseph could interpret those dreams, and that even made these guys matter. You know, it just made it matter. Beyond all that then, there was this one last thing that really made his brothers hate him, and you've had this too. He was a really good-looking guy. And it was just like, come on. You know, I, he's got everything, and on top of that, he's good-looking. He was just a good-looking kid, smart, funny, everybody loved him, his dad loved him, but the brothers hated him. So, Joseph went looking for his brothers one day. Maybe you've heard this story. Actually, I think what happened is his dad probably said, hey, Joseph, go give me a report on what your brothers are doing. <laughs> they were out in the field doing, tending their sheep, or supposed to be tending their flocks, and so Joseph goes out by himself looking for his brothers and when they saw him far from far off which they could see him because he was always wearing this coat of many colors that they hated and they saw him from a distance and they said, "You know what we should do with Joseph once and for all? Let's just kill him. Let's just get this thing over with. I'm so tired of this guy. He's he's young, he's a teenager and the older he gets, the bigger problem he's going to be for us. It's just going to be a pain. He's going to get worse and worse and worse. We just need to kill him." So they get Joseph. They lure him over, they get him and they throw him in this big pit. Okay, so when Joseph came, G- Genesis 37:23. so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, which had to be satisfying to them, you know, here, give me that thing. They took his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now, I've been in the Middle East, and I've seen, I've also been um, all throughout the Holy Lands, and I've seen what these things look like. There's a big hole, huge hole that you couldn't, you get pushed into, you'd never get out. I mean, you just wouldn't. I mean, it's just a huge hole. It's like a big well, but it was empty. And they pushed him in this cistern, that, which had no water in it. And I, at this point in the story, you'd have to read this. And I really encourage you to read this stuff, because it's pretty amazing. It's, it's really interesting stuff. It, they, at this point, they decide, you know what? We shouldn't kill him, you know, just on our conscious and, conscience. And, my, and Dad would not want us to kill him, really, in the long run. And this could just be awful for us if we killed him. And something kind of tugged at their heart. So they decided, instead of killing him, we're going to sell him instead. And what we'll do is we'll take his coat, we'll cut it up, we'll take some animal blood, and we'll take the coat back to dad and say, an animal ate him. I'm sorry, here's his coat. He's dead. He's gone. And this was the story. So yeah, okay, one, two, three, team. That's what they're going to do. So they take the coat, they, they, they rip it up, they put blood all over it, and then they sell him. And I, I can't tell you how bad this is. We romanticize it. when If you're upstairs in our kindergarten or our elementary school classes they have flannel graphs and but nobody can tell you how bad this is to be a slave at this time in history in fact just to let you know how bad this is i don't need to get too graphic about this but suicide was still a thing then it was already beginning but the problem was you couldn't kill yourself easily at this point in history if you start thinking about the drugs weren't around The weapons weren't around. It wasn't as easy to kill yourself. And people tried all the time but could not. Joseph would have probably at some point considered it and had no option. Slavery was such an awful thing, and his brothers sold him into slavery. He'd have been better off, he thought, if they'd have just killed him than selling him to slavery. So Joseph ends up in slavery. And he, next slide there, Tanya. So here's what he does. He, in the midst of this, and here's a good place to pause. I got a lot of little morals to this thing. There's one big one at the end, but this is one you're going to hear me say throughout this story, that every time Joseph looks like his life isn't going well, like his life isn't going the way it's supposed to, he like grits his teeth a little bit, like he just kind of nods his head and goes, you know what? I'm following God anyway. I'm doing the right thing, even if it seems like the right things aren't happening to me. You know, this is not the way I hear Christians talk especially if you read Facebook. One day I'll see a Facebook post from, Chris, from a Christian friend of mine that'll say, God is so good, we just did this and he sold our house or he did this and I bought a new car and I got this new thing in the mail and God was so good, he answered my prayer, God is so good. Two days later they're like, I hate God, he couldn't do anything for me, now I just lost my job. and I..." Lo-. This is the way Christians act, not Joseph. Joseph from the very beginning said, God's either God or God not. He's either God or not. My circumstances do not change the way I feel about whether God's God or not. And he just keeps doing the right thing. So here's what he did. He ends up a slave in the house of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar lives with, near the Pharaoh and works for the Pharaoh. Pharaoh is, is the most powerful man in the world, especially in Egypt, but the most powerful man in the world at this point. And Joseph works in the house of Potiphar, this man named Potiphar, who starts to really like this guy. You know the guys like this, you just like to be around him. And the more he was around him, the more he thought, you know what, I can trust him. My dad used to say this all the time, that I used to say, hey dad, can I, can I take your car? I'm 16 years old. Dad, can I take your car? And he'd say, uh, you know what, you take, you take the Jeep first. We had a Jeep Cherokee, which I'd love to have now, but at the time I hated it. 1978 Jeep Cherokee with a cattle pusher on the front that was filled full of concrete. I could hit anything I wanted to with that thing. And I did, often. And I would run into things, I'd hit, I'd hit cars, I'd hit people, not like people like walking, but like I'd hit cars and I'd hit, I'd hit uh, trees a lot. I'd hit all kinds of things. I had a big stick shift about four feet long. And he told me, if you can d- learn to drive this car, you can drive anything. And I remember saying, Dad, I want to take your car Friday night. He'd say, you know what, John? You proved to me you can drive the Jeep without running it into a tree, then you can take my car. And he would say this to me all the time. I hated this phrase, but I get it now. If you can be trusted with a little, and you can prove yourself, I'll trust you with more. Oh, man. So I drove the Jeep, and to this day, I don't get to drive his car very often. Haven't proved I can't run into a tree. But this is what happened to Joseph. He gets trusted with a little bit as a slave, and Potiphar just keeps going, you know what, here's a little bit more. You're doing good. I trust you. You're a faithful person. I just want to be around you. You just seem like the kind of person that I could trust with more. Pretty soon, Joseph ends up being in charge of the entire house. He's still a slave, which stinks in this culture, but he has put himself in a situation where now he's in charge of Potiphar's entire home. He's in charge of all the slaves. He keeps everything clean. He keeps everything running. And Potiphar trusts him even with the finances for the house. And then Potiphar's wife enters the story. Potiphar's wife, I believe, had had a history of affairs and she tries to seduce Joseph. I told you he was a good looking man. She tries to seduce Joseph and he keeps saying, no, no, no. And finally, here's what we read. He refused her. With me in charge, he told her, my master, your husband, does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. I love it. Joseph's going, you're his wife. Did you forget that? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. The temptation that he faced on a daily basis was great. Finally, in this story later on, she she corners him. And she decides she's gonna, this is going to happen. And he has another coat, not the coat of many colors at this point. He must like coats because he's got another jacket. And she grabs his jacket and he was so intent on getting away from her that he left with the jacket in, his hand, in her hand. And at that point, the story even gets worse for Joseph. He, he gets accused of rape. She, she screams rape. She's embarrassed that he turned her down again. She screams rape. Potiphar comes in, finds that he has allegedly raped his wife and throws him into the dungeon where, where the king puts his prisoners, where Pharaoh puts his prisoners. Now the only thing worse than being a slave at this point in history is, be, and, is being in the dungeon. And the only thing worse than being in the dungeon is being a slave in the dungeon. <laughs> because you got no court date coming up. You got no hope of getting out. You're just in there until the king decides he doesn't want to even give you any bread and water anymore and you're done. So Joseph now After doing the right thing over and over and over, you'd think he'd just say, hey God, can I get a little love here? (laughs) Can can you just take care of me a little bit? Can you just watch over me just a little bit? Because I've been trying to do the right things and now I'm in jail and I don't belong here. Joseph's master took him, Genesis 39, 20, and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were. So here's what happened. Joseph continues to do the right thing. Whether, it doesn't matter what's going on around him. Now, I want to pause just for a minute here because I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I'm sure there are things in your life that aren't fair. I know that right now there are people in your life that are treating you poorly. I know that right now at your work, you're getting ripped to shreds. But you need to know, your job is to continue to do the right thing. Continue to take the next right step no matter what no matter what goes on in your life, this is what happens to Joseph. He begins to love the people in the prison. He begins to take care of them. He finally ends up running into the cupbearer that used to work for the king. He and the king. He and Pharaoh had a real issue at some point. Pharaoh threw him in um, the prison, and the cupbearer had a dream one night, and he came to Joseph, and he said, I had this crazy dream. I don't know what it means, and Joseph says, I can interpret dreams. He tells the the cupbearer, this dream means that you're going to be reunited with Pharaoh. You're going to be reunited, you'll be right back there, and sure enough, it was a couple weeks, and the, the Pharaoh called for the cupbearer, and they became friends again. And as the is leaving the prison, you think, oh, this is Joseph's way out. The cupbearer's going in, and now he's friends. As he's leaving the prison, he says, Joseph, what can I do for you? <laughs> you're like, what? Joseph said, just remember me. I'm stuck down here. Remember me. Find a way to get me out of here. I, I didn't do this. Get me out of here. And then the Bible says this one awful thing. It just says this, but the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Two years after that, Joseph stays in prison. After helping the cupbearer out, after being a friend, here's what the Bible says. It says that he, had, he found favor in the eyes of the prison warden. <laughs> Even the prison warden liked this guy and he still couldn't get out. So one day, the Pharaoh himself has a dream. He has a couple dreams, and they're very complicated, and they're scary. One, back, one slide there, Tanya. And he, he continues to have this, these dreams. Yep. And basically, other people try to come and interpret them, and for some reason, Pharaoh's like, that does not make sense. Get out of my face. That is not it. And finally, the cupbearer says, hey, Pharaoh, I remember a guy who interpreted my dream once. His name is Joseph, and he's in prison. He looks awful. He's all messed up, he's a long beard, he's he's a Hebrew, he's a little different than us, but I think he can help you with this. So Pharaoh says, send for him. And they clean him up, they shave his beard, they put probably an earring on him, they probably tattoo him up a little bit to make him look a little more Egyptian, and they take him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, At this point in the story, if you were writing a screenplay and you were making a movie, you're going, yes, this is Joseph's chance. Hey, Joe, here's what you need to do. Stand in front of Pharaoh and say whatever you need to say to get on his good side. If he had a dream, you just say, hey, man, that dream means you're the king forever. You are God, Pharaoh. You're the man. And by the way, every dream you have, if you just put me over in the corner of the palace, I'll interpret it for the rest of my life. This is what you would do. If you were Joe, that's what I would do. If I was Joseph, I'd stand before the Pharaoh and say, I've been in in prison, I've been a slave, I've been messed over my whole life, this is my big chance. And Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dreams? The answer, yeah, buddy. (laughs) Look what he says. I cannot do it. You've got to think the cupbearer's going, what? (laughs) Joseph replied to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So he even offended Pharaoh right there because here's the thing, Pharaoh believes he's God. In fact, he wants you, he wants everybody in his kingdom, everybody in the world to believe that Pharaoh is God. So not only did Joseph say to this guy, no, I can't do it, he said the real God, the one that's not you, can, if you'll listen. He took a big chance right then and right there to continue, continue to do the right thing at all costs. What if you continued to do the right thing at all costs in your life? I'll stop there. So the Pharaoh says, okay, give it a shot. Give it a shot, Joe. Just, here's my dream. And he tells Joseph his dream. And basically the dream, without going into detail, you can read about this, is a huge long dream. Basically the dream means this. Joseph says, here's what God wants you to know about this dream. He, he, he wants you to know that Um, Just as Pharaoh said, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And Joseph said, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms, let me remind you, Pharaoh, is that the matter has been firmly decided by the real God. Don't forget, Pharaoh, you're not him. And God will do it soon. So here's what he says. He says, Pharaoh, your dream means that the real God is speaking to you. Joseph was a prophet. Gave me energy to preach today. He said, Pharaoh, the real God is speaking to you, and I'm not going to mess with what he's saying to better my own life. Here's what he's saying. For seven years in Egypt, You're going to have more crops than you can deal with. You can't possibly eat it. The people in Egypt can't possibly eat all the crops you have. It's going to be bountiful for seven years. You're going to think you got this. You're going to think this is amazing. You're going to think it's never going to go away. And then immediately, immediately after seven years, it's going to get bad. And it's going to get so bad that people are going to die and they're going to be desperate. So here's what God wants you to do, Pharaoh. You need to find somebody who can help you. Everybody who's selling crops right now, you're going to get 20% of it. You're going to build a silo in every city in Egypt. And on this whole land, you're going to build a silo. You're going to take 20% of all the crops that are sold and you're going to put it in this silo. And in seven years, when all the crops are gone, your silos are going to be full. And you're going to be a bagillionaire. <laughs> because you're going to sell it back to these people. You're going to be the only one with crops. And at that point, you're also going to be the hero because you're going to have saved everyone. God's telling you, Pharaoh... I'm just saying, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. So everybody's standing in the court going, oh, Joseph's going to get a sword right in the throat right about now and get that little sound that you get in the movies. You know, that's what I'm picturing with Joseph right now. He's going to get it from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, you're the man. You're the guy. You're going to be the guy to lead this whole effort. You're going to be my second in command. Joseph that day became second in command in Egypt and began this process. An amazing thing. Next slide. So this is what happens as it goes through, and, and please hang with me because we're almost done here, and I've got I to show you how this all ties together. We're, this story has been told a million times, but I have never heard it really told the way I'm about to tell it because here's what happens next. Joseph becomes second in command. He becomes you know, Mr. Everything in Egypt and throughout the land. It happened exactly the way he predicted it would. It happened exactly the way that God shared with him that it would happen. Seven years, they did great. They built up these silos. They saved everyone in the land. In fact, it was even bigger than Joseph had planned. It wasn't just Egypt. People from all over were coming to him and to them for grain. And he was selling it and giving it. And He had so much to give. He was the Savior of the area. And everyone knew who he was. And then, check this out. This is right in your Bible. If you just pick it up and read it, you wouldn't believe it. This is amazing. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, second in command. The person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, so here's what happened. His dad gets hungry. His brothers get hungry. Living outside of Egypt now, they're hungry. And they hear that Egypt, they don't know it's Joseph. But they hear that in Egypt they've got food and we gotta go there to buy it. So their dad says, go buy us some food. They go into town and the brothers roll into town. The brothers who just, who 20 years ago tried to kill Joseph. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who saw all the grain of the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. They didn't know he was Joseph. But this is what you do to somebody at that point who is so well known, so well loved, and so much over in charge of you. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger for a moment. And he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. Now are you picturing this in your mind? I hope, I hope your imagination is going right now. Where do you come from? His brothers, 20 years older, beat the snot out of him, left him for dead, and then sold him to people. Lied to his dad. Hadn't seen him all these years. This is his moment this is his moment to take out his revenge this is his moment to do everything he's been thinking about as he's been sitting in prison to do all the things he wanted to say all the things he wanted to do to his brothers now's the time he has the upper hand you have had this moment in your life with your family with your friends with those who God has put you in closest to, you've had these moments where they're vulnerable and you're standing over them, you have a decision to make. I believe Joseph's first choice was not to do what he did. I believe he was like, huh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Because that's why he didn't tell him who he was right off. He needed some time to think about what he was going to do. He had some choices to make and here's what he did. And this is where I want to take a step back for a moment. He remembered an echo from his past. I'll tell you what I mean by an echo. In your life and in your families, there will be times, maybe now is one of them, that you will do something as a parent, as a grandparent, as a family member, that will never, will cause your family to never be the same. You will do something that will echo through the generations. It happened in my family. When my mom and dad were um, just getting married, they were really young. I won't tell you how young because it may give fuel to some of the high school students around here. They were stupid young, okay? And they got married and they didn't have any money and my dad was nervous and my mom was nervous and one time they were sitting with my grandfather who was first generation preacher and lifestyle Christian and he had not had this experience in his life but he said to my mom and dad, they said, we're nervous, we don't know if we can if we can even pay for an apartment, and he said this to them, he said, as long as I have a roof over my head, you have a roof over yours. And then that would echo. He died of cancer, and years later, my uncle, my mom's brother, was just getting into ministry and was hurting financially and came to my mom and dad and said, I don't know what we're going to do. We got, we got this church. We're not making very much money. My mom and dad had this tiny little house with an unfinished basement in it. You know what my mom said? As long as I have a roof over my head, you have one over yours. So my, my uncle moved into their house and lived with them. And it's some of my best memories of all of us living together, but we were all like this, you know? And then about three weeks ago, I don't know, three months ago, my uncle and I were sitting at breakfast. And I said, Risha and I have done it. We put ourselves in such financial debt that we have no peace in our lives and we are ready to change our lives at all costs. We're going to sell our house, but we don't know what we're going to do. My uncle said, you know what, I built a a garage a few years ago with an apartment over it and as long as I have a roof over my head, you have one over yours. My wife and I are selling my house and moving into my uncle's place. You know why? Because my uncle's a good man and because my mom was a good person, but because my grandfather's words echoed through the generations. See, you've heard it said that your word, that your actions are stronger than words, they're louder than words, but that's not enough. That's not, that's not all. Not only are your actions louder than words, but they will echo from generation to generation. I think about my son, Reese. And at some point, I hope to be a grandfather. And then at some point, Reese is probably going to be a grandfather. And at that point, they're going to say, hey, who was, who was Grandpa Mitchell, great-grandpa Mitchell again? What did he do? Who was he? And I want the, the things that I'm doing right now to echo into their lives for generations to come like it did for Joseph. See, Joseph had an echo at this point. He stood over his brothers with all the power and something echoed in his brain. And here's the story. See, what had happened is Joseph's father, Isaac, and his uncle, Esau, had been in a fight their whole lives over the birthright. And at one point, you'll have to read about this because it's a long story, but at one point um, Esau is out in the fields, he was a hunter, and, and, um, and Jacob was in cooking and he was more of a cook, He didn't. they were really a lot different. Esau was starving, and the Bible says he was literally hungry, starving. He comes in and he says, oh man, I'm so hungry, Jacob give me some of your food, we think he was probably out a long time in the woods and didn't have any food, Jacob give me some of that stew, I want it so bad. And Jacob saw an opportunity. Younger brothers don't get this opportunity very often to get the upper hand. And probably just out of, you know, just being interested, he's stirring the pot and he says, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. For a a bowl of stew? My birthright? Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. "What, What good is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath, selling his birthright for a stupid bowl of stew. Now he was in his teens at this point, and you know how hungry teens are. Completely irrational. And that's what he did. He sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate it and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He gave up his r- birthright for a bowl of soup. But that was the first time that Jacob deceived Esau to steal his birthright. The next time, his dad was about to die. Isaac was about to die. He was blind. Or almost blind, he was laying in bed, and it was time for him to give the blessing of the birthright, to, time for him to say, okay, you now, Esau, right, because Esau's the older brother, I'm sure when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, he thought, well, dad will never really do it. I'm sure that there was a moment where he thought, we'll sort all this out when dad's dying. His dad says to Esau, here's what I want you to do, go out and kill something, kill, kill some game, bring me the meat, and while we eat the meat of the beast that you kill together, I'll, I'll pray over you, and I'll give you your birthright. So Esau thinks, this is it. I'm going to get the birthright. He goes out hunting, and while he does, Jacob sneaks into his dad's room. Now Esau was a hairy dude, and Jacob wasn't. So, Esau was so de- or Jacob was so deceptive that he, he put some animal fur on his body so that when his dad would feel his arms, he would think he was Esau. And he walks into this dark room, and he says to his dad, Dad, I'm here. Here's some meat. I'm here for the birthright. And first his dad says, well, man, that was fast. How'd you kill the animal that fast? He said, are you sure it's you? Look at this. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, touched his fake fur. He says, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him. felt his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So proceeded to bless him, and he says again, are you really my son Esau, he asked. And Jacob, to his father's face, with his dad dying, says, I am he. So his dad blesses him, gives him the legal birthright. He now owns the birthright. He now gets all of his dad's inheritance. He now has power over the family. Just then, Jacob runs out the door. Esau runs in with the ready to get the blessing. He runs in. He says, Dad, I'm here with the meat. I'm here for the blessing. His father Isaac asks him, Who are you? Can you imagine what Esau would have been thinking? What do you mean, who am I? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. Jacob is gone. Second time, he has messed over his brother. So at this point in history, Esau decides he's going to kill Jacob. I mean really kill him, not like you say it, I'm going to kill you, really kill him. He starts hunting him. Instead of hunting game, he starts hunting his brother. And so Jacob has to take all of his stuff that he gets from his dad, he has to take all of his family, and he has to get out of town and get out of town fast and go away from his brother. And all of these years, he had been away. Many, many years he'd been away from his brother when we read this story so Jacob goes a long way away he has sons with all these different wives which is really strange and he puts them in order of the ones he likes the most which is even stranger and so then he decides one day I I've got to get right with my brother maybe you've had that moment I have to get right I can't li- I can't die with my brother not knowing my kids and my family I got to get right with my brother, even if he's going to kill me, I got to, so he loads up all of his stuff, all the things that he owes his brother, he loads his family up, and he goes to find Esau, (laughs) that sounds just stupid, hey mom, where are we going, Joseph says, His mom says, we're going to find Uncle Esau, you mean the Uncle Esau that's been trying to kill dad all these years, yep, we're going to go find Uncle Esau, so they go on a trip to find Uncle Esau, and listen to this, hang with me, because it's all going to come back around, I know you're getting tired. Genesis 33one they're coming down this, this area where Esau ought to be. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. He's got a small army. And here is Jacob with his family and a bunch of stuff out in the middle of nowhere, no chance against Esau and his army. Check out what happens. So Jacob turns around, and he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants." So here's all his wives and all of his kids, and he divides them up. Look what he did, this is so strange. He puts the female servants and their children in front. Doesn't name the children, just puts them up out in front for these 400 people. Then Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Joseph is the only son that's mentioned by name. Did you notice that? The only child that's mentioned by name is Joseph. And he and Rachel in the very back. He himself then, Jacob, picture this, okay? I'm almost done, you just gotta hang with me, imagine this. Jacob walks through this caravan towards 400 people and his his brother Esau, who he owes everything to. And he begins to do this. He himself went on ahead and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. So just picture this. He takes a couple steps and bows. He takes a couple steps and bows. And Joseph, seven, eight years old, watching all of this, What is dad doing? He's going to die. Take a couple steps, bow take a couple steps. Bow as he approached his brother. So what's going to happen here? Little Joseph standing in the back trying to see over. What's dad doing? Is that uncle Esau mom? Yeah. Is is he going to kill us all? Maybe. (laughs) And look what happened. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept together. And Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who who are all these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given me. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and their children came bowed down. And last came Joseph and Rachel, who bowed down thanking Uncle Esau for having grace for them. Okay, stop for a minute. Suck back now. You know, if we were in a movie, we'd do that little dream thing. Okay, We're going back to Joseph. Do you know where I'm going? Joseph is standing here the way Uncle Esau was now, with all the power, with all the authority, and with all the right to do whatever he needed to do to these family members who had messed him up. And everything in him wants to, except for one thing. The echo. From Uncle Esau. From this moment in time where he remembers the echo of his family, saying, This is the way we do family. This is the way we do life. Grace at all costs. Peace, even when it's not your fault. Forgiveness every time, even when you don't, it's not deserved. And at that moment, look what happened: Genesis 45, 15. There were some other things going on and and it took, it, it, honestly, it took Joseph a while, and there was some, you have to read through this whole thing, but eventually, Genesis 45:15, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, much like Esau and Jacob wept over each other's families after his brothers talked with them. When the news had reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brother had come home, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan. And bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Unbelievable story of a man whose echoes from his family's past changed his narrative. Now, if you've heard me preach, you could probably finish my sermon for me. You know exactly where I'm going. The actions you take in your life right now will echo through generations to come. You think the decisions you're making about your children right now are just dealing with them right now? No. You've heard it said over and over again in life that your actions speak louder than words, but it's bigger than that. It's not true. Actually, your actions speak louder than words, and they speak in, from generation to generation to generation. So three grandkids from now. Somebody in your family could say no to addiction because great great grandma you did somebody in your family could decide that they want to live a christian lifestyle not just pretend to be jesus follower but to actually live this lifestyle because great so and so did today is your chance if you're grandma in this place if you're grandpa in this place don't you dare retire from your family Don't you dare retire from raising your kids and your grandbabies and your great-grandbabies and your great 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 -great grandbabies who you haven't even met yet. You start saying things. You start doing things. You start living a life that will echo into generation from generation and generation. And 500 years from now, somebody could say, why do we live this way? Because great-great-great-great-grandma Pam lived this way. I'm standing here today because both my grandfathers were first generation preachers and lifestyle Christians. I promise you, I would not be standing here had it not been for these two men who walked away from their family's tradition and said, there's a better way to live life and my life will echo through generations. What will yours do? What will your echo be? Band, you guys can come up. I only have one question today. Just one thing to leave you with. You know, I usually have a whole long list of them, and here's my one thing today. If this is true, and maybe, maybe you're just kind of, maybe you're going to take a deep breath and go, that was a good story. If this is true, if what you do right now echoes from generation to generation to generation, what should you different, do differently starting this moment? Who in your life do you need to be Esau and Joseph. Who in your life needs to see the way that you live echo generation to generation? Today's your chance. That's my story. I love you. And I love your families. And I love Paragon. I drove through this place today. You know, my wife's not with me. And I hate when she's not with me. It doesn't happen very often anymore. But the only thing about it that's redeemable is that I get here earlier. Um, and I was early today, so I drove through Paragon. And I prayed over the houses in Paragon. I drove through the trailer park. And I knew what I was preaching today. And I prayed that moms and dads who are living in this city would not raise their children the way their parents did just because they don't know different. Just because they think this is the way to do it. Just because that, the, that we start to change the way we do our families in this community. But here's the thing, it's got to start here. So you wonder, if you're visiting with us today, if you're listening online, what is it that makes a place decide to put jumpy buildings inside the church for VBS? What is it that makes a place invite kids in here who most churches would not allow in this building? What is it that makes a place decide to spend more on food than they do on their mortgage every month? We want to echo We want to echo from generation to generation to generation. You want to be a part of that? Start now. Would you stand up and sing with us today?